This is the Kelly Confidential Podcast with Kelly Wilkes. This is episode 10. Welcome to the Kelly Confidential Show, where we talk negotiation essentials and those crucial conversations empowering extraordinary women. Real women, real issues. Let's jump in. Hello, friends. I hope you're having a great and productive week. Like all Brits, I've embraced their cultural obsession with the weather, and so I can report that it is raining again. Needless to say, I'm not letting the relentless rain and gray skies get me down. Spring is definitely around the corner, and the buds of new beginnings that come with it are going to be a welcome, welcome sign. And actually, that's a good segue to our topic today, which is about a negotiation tool that you use right at the beginning of your deal making. Um, And that's right, I am talking about rapport. But what you may not know is that this innocent sounding soft skill, as it's described, is actually the most tactical stealth-like tool you can employ among all other I don't know, intelligence gathering aids you can use when your negotiation hits a stalemate or worse. So today I'm covering two micro lessons. The first, why rapport matters. And the second, how to use rapport to detect deception. Firstly, why is rapport so important in negotiation? Well, because as experts in the psychology of conflict will tell us, A person's worldview is their center point, and one of the most effective ways to find accord or common ground with that worldview is to show the other party that they're being listened to and that they are heard and understood. Sounds simple, right? Something that a little small talk will address, right? Actually, that's probably the most misunderstood part of building rapport, and Really, the most common mistake I see amongst inexperienced negotiators trying to lay their foundations out. And unfortunately, many, many business people are taught incorrectly to rely on small talk as a tool for entering sales dialogue with strangers. So say it with me. Rapport building is not small talk. That's right. And to help demonstrate this point, I'm turning to one of my favorite experts on linguistics, Dr. Elizabeth Stokoe. I've had the good fortune to meet and to listen to Dr. Stokoe twice in the past seven years during uh, different mediation lectures held here in the UK. Dr. Stokoe, an academic and social scientist in linguistics, is a professor at the University of Loughborough here in England. And she wrote the groundbreaking book, Talk, it's just called Talk, in 2018, explaining and charting the technical interaction in speech and how people are hardwired from their early years of communicating to understand what should happen next in dialogue. She and her team demonstrate in the book through thousands of hours of research and analysis of crisis talks and negotiations And they um, found two critical findings. Number one, that the pauses in conversation cycles most times, not always, but most times, represented the beginnings of misalignment 
a crack in mutuality or a cord as it is. And they also identified that responding in a turn, so a conversation cycle as they called it, responding in a turn too soon or with a response that was inconsistent with the expected response, such as insincerity or false familiarity, could also backfire. And it was in the analysis of what happened in the ensuing exchanges between two people that negotiators, mediators, emergency services, and counselors were able to apply these learnings to pinpoint the exact beginning of conflict or breakdown in accord or just failure for the conversation to continue. And if you're a crisis counselor, or if you're a negotiator, a crisis negotiator, it's absolutely vital that the conversation continues, right? So very, very important um, work that they're doing. And the same approach and understanding applies with small talk and, and Dr. Stokoe captures this so well in a series of cold call business exchanges that she posted over a series of tweets on her Twitter page in 2021. Um, I've included the link to these um, tweets in the show notes. And it's very cringeworthy, um, but also very funny. Um, and really helpful to see in black and white where the salesperson's attempts to engage um, using small talk really start to fail um, more and more often than not. So does any of this resonate with you? Good. Well, let's jump in and get started with lesson one. Here we go. Okay, so lesson one in rapport building and why it matters. How many of you are fans of true crime? True crime TV shows have really taken off in the past two decades since CSI first started coming into our living rooms. And hey, I'm no exception. I love a good murder mystery and a whodunit. And probably one of my favorites is the first 48, the American true crime drama. Uh, which I get over here on my Sky uh, dish. Um, and in this particular episode, uh, recorded in Mobile, Alabama, I think a few years ago, they just replaced some of these episodes, but this one really stood out to me. Um, the show opens with detectives getting the call, and they go to the scene of the crime where a victim, who was in an apparent hit-and-run car crash, um, was also gunned down um, right after the crash uh, there in cold blood. A few hours later, detectives have found the suspect, whom they have learned spent time in the military, specifically two tours of active duty in Afghanistan. So this is somebody that, you know, has their heckles up. This is somebody who is, is definitely armed and certainly considered dangerous. When they finally find him at his mother's home, the suspect refuses to come out of the house. Given his extensive military training and the unprovoked shooting of a stranger, they have to plan for the worst when trying to take him into custody. And after I, like nearly 30 minutes and several attempts to get him to come out of the house in darkness, with the house totally surrounded by a police and SWAT team, he is finally coaxed out over the phone by his terrified mother, but thankfully she was, you know, 
very influential in, in getting him to surrender himself. He opens the door. Instructions are yelled to him from the waiting police and SWAT teams to exit slowly with his hands up, which he does. Then he's told to turn around, hands up, and to walk backwards to them, um, where he's finally told to get on his knees and then wait. He's then um, surrounded and placed in handcuffs without issue. And the lead detective slowly and quietly walks him to the car, speaking in low, soft tones, where the man replies in the same low, soft tones, mirroring his police captor. This established behavior immediately diffuses the situation for the perpetrator, as well as helps to bring down the high emotions and tensions among the police force and the SWAT teams. At one point, the perpetrator, um, let's call him Tim, can be heard saying that he needs to pee as soon as they get to wherever they're going, as he's been awakened from a deep sleep. And the lead detective is heard saying, that's okay, man, we'll get you sorted when we get there. Of course, the detective could have shown, you know, aggression, signs of power, you know, both of which would have been easily understood and wouldn't have come as a surprise after such a tense standoff. But he doesn't. And instead, this is an excellent example in how to quickly diffuse emotions of any kind. And this is rapport tactic number one, disarm using empathy. Then once in the interview room, the same lead detective, lead detective together with his partner sit opposite Tim in a triangular form, which is a form that you see fairly commonly in like mediation settings, um, but it also works well in, in police um, interviews and interrogations. So they're just sitting in this form, and despite the fact that they have two witnesses, video footage of, of Tim's car speeding away from the scene, and really the same car with damage um, from the collision parked in front of his mother's house, they don't lead with any of that. Instead, they start with telling him that he's not under arrest, but he is detained because he refused to come to the door, and they just need to ask him some questions relating to an investigation. This is rapport tactic number two, logic. Things that are plain and simple and self-evident to, to all parties. Tim then nods, hands are crossed in his lap facing the lead detective, and the detectives then start with what I call warm-up questions. All questions that they already know the answers to. Why? Because it provides them with immediate information about how this person responds when calm, honest, and not feeling threatened. It allows the receiver of the information to calibrate this normal state so that they can spot deviations from that same normal state when it comes. They ask where he grew up, what he does for a living, and they nod and take notes as he talks, again disarming. Then they ask, any time in the military? Tim confirms, yes, four years in Afghanistan, which again, they already knew, but Tim doesn't know this. The lead detective nods, pauses, and looking him in the eyes, says sincerely, thank you for your service. 
Now this produces an immediate change in Tim's body language. Something a mix of what I took as embarrassment and surprise, and there was a bit of a huff sound, a bit maybe like defeat, um, but really effective. This is rapport tactic three, sincerity. And then they shortly move on to their investigation into the shooting. Um, and they remind him of his Miranda rights and they carry on peacefully with their interrogation to gather information. What followed was that Tim was later charged and prosecuted for murder, but it was a much easier process for all parties because of the way the lead detective set the rapport building. Now, hopefully none of you will ever find yourselves in that sort of situation. Um, but it's an excellent example of how rapport building when used properly, keeps things moving and how it allows you to calibrate certain information. So why is rapport building so critical in negotiations? Because it creates a positive and empathetic connection between parties and fosters trust. Well, how do we know this? Well, because crisis negotiators like George Kohlreiser, a renowned psychologist and leadership expert, have had to stake their careers and, and the lives of their clients on it. In his book, Hostage at the Table, an amazing book, by the way, one that I frequently quote, quote from, um, he presents his views on building rapport, something he sees as a crucial skill for all leaders. Kohlreiser emphasizes the importance of building trust and establishing a connection with the other person. He asserts that building rapport additionally requires a deep understanding of oneself and the ability to emphasize with others. Both things that I cover off in episode three, uh, one of my podcasts, uh, Fear and Negotiation, the need to have a, a deep understanding and self-awareness of, yeah, just your own issues, your ability to empathize and, and understand the other. Um, and I would say that his book, Hostage at the Table, is probably the only negotiation book I've read ever that includes, includes the level of psychological references and attachment theories in it. Um, just speaking about the ability to understand oneself. Um, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but certainly a book worth looking into if, if you're interested in, in negotiation and psychology. Kohlreiser also argues that rapport building is especially critical in high-stakes situations, such as negotiations of, for hostage release. He draws from his experiences as a hostage negotiator to explain how building rapport can be the difference, literally, between life and death. Kohlreiser's insights into building rapport have been used by law enforcement agencies and military personnel around the world, and his experience has shown him that when people feel understood, they are more likely to open up and negotiate. And this is 100% true in business. Um, other techniques such as active listening, showing genuine interest in being empathetic are equally important. And Kohlreiser emphasizes the importance of nonverbal communication, such as maintaining eye contact and using body language effectively, which takes us on to lesson number two.
using rapport to detect deception. In my negotiation courses, I teach students about the myths, the pitfalls, and the benefits of observing body language in a negotiation. And certainly there's enough there to fill a small series in itself. But what's the prevailing point I want you to take away today? I want you to ignore all the hype you've heard about folks looking to the left as being liars and when people don't smile when they greet you that that means they're hiding something. Both of those things have issues. Firstly, how long have you known this person and how many times did they look left in your presence in that specific conversation? And secondly, those that smile all the time. Again, second example, even in the face of crisis, um, people that smile, there's a myth that, that smilers are, you know, um, a greater worry than the person who greets you with a straight face. These are urban myths. And um, I'm not going to debunk all of those in this um, session, but I want you to be shrewd to some of that and do your homework. And, you know, whether it's following me and reading my content or reading books I recommend or doing your own research, it's important that you understand really what we're talking about when we're talking about detecting deception. The critical thing here is calibration and calibration in respect of a person's expressed body language, meaning spoken words and body gestures means the collection of the same or graduated behaviors that indicate that person's presence of mind. Simply put, you need to have established a baseline of repetitive behaviors using rapport such that you can identify a deviation from that baseline when it occurs. As otherwise, you've attached your whole premise to a single eye gesture. You with me? So let's hear from another expert in her field, and that is Janine Driver, former U.S. federal agent, criminal profiler, and author who has helped thousands of business leaders and law enforcement agencies with their insights on nonverbal communication and behavior clusters. In her funny and really groundbreaking TED Talk, You Can Spot a Liar, Here's How, Driver highlights the importance of building rapport and identifying behavior clusters to detect deception. And much like my outline in lesson one, Driver emphasizes that when people feel comfortable and put at ease, they are more likely to reveal their true thoughts and feelings as this will allow for natural, spontaneous expressions and body language to surface. So this is critical. This is where your patience and your calm and the time that you invested in building the rapport at the beginning of the relationship, however short this relationship may be, however short the negotiation may be, this is where that investment starts to pay dividends because it has given you information about this person's presence of mind. And once that rapport has been established, Driver likewise um, advises in her TED Talk and also in her book, You Say More Than You Think. I had to grab it. It was sitting here on my shelf. <laughs> in her book, You Say More Than You Think. 
she focuses on certain behavior clusters as potential indicators of deception. So the key there being clusters. So not one, not two, but these are collections of. So these clusters can include changes in body language, such as shifting weight, increased blink rate, covering one's mouth or eyes. Um, It could be a number of those things, but the point is it's taken as a group, as a collection. And as a profiler, she also looks for the inconsistencies between these things. So inconsistencies um, between the verbal and the nonverbal, as well as verbal cues like hesitations when speaking, vocal tone changes, and also word choice. Driver acknowledges that behavior clusters do not, on their own, necessarily indicate deception. Um, As I've said, um, we're not talking one or two times. These are collections. And so rather, it provides clues that can prompt further investigation. The same is true in a negotiation. We shouldn't assume our counterpart is lying about the margin in a deal simply because their left eye starts to twitch although it, of course, would be hugely distracting. Um, So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's important that you take into account the context and overall situation before jumping to conclusions. But I can sense that some of you will be unhappy leaving here without having some indication of what to keep an eye out for in terms of deception. So not one to leave people hanging Here are a few proven indicators that if you did see these occurring in frequency or graduated use, it is possible that you have misalignment or deception across the table. So example one, eye blocking. This is avoiding eye contact or repeat eye closures. Hostage negotiator Chris Watts uses a 1.5 second repeat eye closure um, assessment Uh, where he can determine if somebody was lying about the whereabouts of of, um, a hostage member. Um, So quite an interesting measurement. Um, Example two, shoulder shrugging. Considered by profilers, including Janine Driver, as the number one mistell in body language, indicating dishonesty to themselves or to you. So keep an eye out for that. Example three, lip locking. This is a another top top sort of five um, indicator of when a person is holding something back from being said, be it an opinion or the truth in the face of a lie. This person has something to say and just simply isn't saying it. And that brings us to the end of our micro lessons today on building rapport and why it's so crucial in negotiation. We covered three rapport tactics in lesson one. Those were use of disarming language, use of logic, and applying sincerity. And then we finished with lesson two on the importance of looking out for and calibrating body language clusters before we draw conclusions about what they mean. And really, one can't happen without the other. The building blocks of rapport start the second you enter the room, long before you sit at the table, And if utilized with sincerity and a keen eye for observation, these will pay you dividends again and again. Good luck. Until next time.
If you like my show and want to hear more of these topics, please give me a like and follow us. And please join my mail list to find out about upcoming courses, which will be heading your way this spring. Go to kellyconfidential.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Newsletter.